0: This is Art Town, and I'm your host, Justin Baker. This month, my guest is Deborah Zlotsky, which was a real treat for me because I've been fascinated by her work for a long time. I've been a fan of those rich saccharine colors, those curving geometric shapes and weird moments of flatness pushing suddenly into three-dimensional space and then back. It can really take your head off in some way and put it back in a good way. And if you've listened before, abstraction really fascinates me. I don't understand it. I don't want to. And it's not like understanding like I've read a sentence and it makes sense. But it's more of as a person who makes things, understanding how it's made Or how you build that language that becomes the process for creating the work. That's the part that fascinates me. And the conversation I had with Deb was immensely fun. And she shared a lot. And it was very interesting. And you're going to hear it in a minute. So, I do want to say, if you're in the city at the end of the month, you can see Deb's paintings in person. Her show, Today is Yesterday and Tomorrow, is at Mackenzie Fine Art, which is located at 55 Orchard Street in New York City, and it's up from March 31st to May 7th. So here we go this month, Deborah Zlotsky, but, and there's always a but. Recently, I've been listening to a lot of Tropicali music. So this month, to set the stage, is Jorge Ben singing about his favorite soccer player, Fio Maravalla, the classy maestro.
1: Ele chegou com inspiração Com muito amor, com emoção Com explosão, um gol Sacudindo a torcida aos 33 minutos Do segundo tempo Depois de fazer uma jogada
2: Which is I equate color with tasting, taste, oh, and flavors. So I picked all this like music from the seventies that had uh-huh. like, you know like color words or or food words. You know that kind of connected. Mm. So okay, interesting. Um, so, but I usually don't listen to music while I yeah. <laughs> while I work. There we go. <laughs> I listen to books. I listen to audiobooks. Oh, funny. Okay. It's so immersive for me. And a lot of times when I'm being a little bit, you know, like. Sort of bratty and I'm feeling like I'm overwhelmed by time management. The draw back into the studio is the book I'm listening to because there's something like hard for me to figure out in a painting. But I know I'll just go and I'll listen to that. Keep uh-huh. going in that novel and yeah. I'll figure it out.
0: Uh, so the the book draws you back in.
2: Yeah. Or is as equally drawing me back in as the, you know, the desire and urgency of uh, being back in the studio and, yeah, yeah. and continuing to work on a, on a painting. Yeah. Cause that's
0: like the carrot waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, it is. Sort of, it's
2: like the reward while yeah. I'm, you know. Yeah. And if I can get into that kind of, you know, the zone, then um, that's sort of the best place to be is painting and listening to a book uh-huh. if I and and maybe eating at the same time uh-huh. would be the perfect combo <laughs> that's,
0: not, that's funny okay so well yeah we'll start um and just uh one thing um when you're speaking like talk at the mic okay um I know sometimes we like turn and like to look at something right okay That's fine. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah, no. (laughs) I had this funny experience with Terry uh, Conrad Uh doing a recording and he just kept pushing his chair farther. Like it was like this weird, like nervous, like he moves a lot. Yeah. Like he's always like. I think I do too. Yeah. yeah. And not that it was like a, I'm not criticizing it, but it was just, it was funny to watch him and he just kept like, it was like, it was kryptonite. (laughs) It's intimidating. Yeah. I guess I'm just used to it. Yeah. No, it's. But, um, I mean, you know, I didn't know that you, you had, uh, synesthesia. Synesthesia. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, that's something that you, I don't, I feel weird saying like you have it, but like whatever that is, like you experience how my that. my brain works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you relay colors to taste. Is yeah. That, that's interesting.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it accounts for some of my palate, It's uh-huh. you know, sort of candy, yummy, Oh, funny. Interesting. Because it, I think it's also sort of tied a, tied into nostalgia as well. And that's maybe why it's candy. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people have synesthesia in different ways. In a mm-hmm. classic way is a way that my sister has it where certain numbers are always in a certain color.
0: Oh, my God. Huh. That's yeah, wild. That too.
2: seems much more magic to me than my thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like also like, like, you know, there's the famous Brian Wilson, you know, like Beach Boys, like he was songs were sounds to or songs were not sounds, but sounds were colors to him. Mm-hmm. So he'd be describing to the band. It's like, well, that's purple there, you know, and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Huh. So food. And so you, you, do you and you say nostalgia, but is is that a nostalgia for what? The candy, candy. Really? <laughs> you know, I
2: have a feeling, yeah, there must be something, uh-huh. you know, about that. and I, I mean, I, I I still love candy. so just that idea of like something really like sweet and sour and mm-hmm. um delightful, yeah,
0: wow, huh, That's interesting. Do you eat a lot of candy? Is that or unfortunately, you?
2: Try- unfortunately, I <laughs> do, and I try uh-huh. to avoid it. Uh-huh. Now that I'm older, this' is not good. Yeah, it's not good? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing good about it.
0: Okay. Health-wise. That's, that's so funny. And then the, the color palette, I can see it now. That's kind of interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sometimes it's um, it, like a little bit, I don't know, alarming to me. You know, like, why am I sensing this? But, you know, it's like a sensory activation. Uh-huh. And it, in some ways it makes sense that your senses aren't, um, singular, you know, how you experience them, that they are, they're always multiples, at least all, even if it's just subtle, yeah. you know, and that's maybe why some of these things are really pleasurable Yeah, experiences, you know, listening to music or mm-hmm. looking at a painting or.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, we were talking about that. I mean, listening to music, that's, yeah, it's very, when I like, um, music to me is like it's like a there's a very physical feeling to it mm-hmm. and like when i used to play music I, that was like the big draw for me was like there's, there's a physicality to it and i can't not like associate those things too together like mm-hmm. it just has this really internal feeling I, for me that's like very odd I to me i don't know maybe other people feel that way too
2: i think also um there's, I mean, I think this might be related in a way. Um, there's a sense of fluency that I feel when I'm painting. And I think that the kind of urge to communicate and be fluent mm-hmm. um, is something really basic also, um, you know, kind of maybe on the same level as of the senses. And I like I'm terrible at learning languages. Uh-huh. Um And I always was really uptight and not good at hear. I'm terrible at hearing it. I can kind of read. Um, I can read Spanish and I can read a little bit of German, but to speak it, to hear it and respond is really hard for me. So this, the pleasure of fluency that happens in the studio is, yeah, it's really, um, something essential, I, I guess, for my, on that like experience level of uh-huh. what am I experiencing as I'm painting.
0: So you feel like that's your optimal like communication? Yeah. In a way? Yeah. Like that's where it's everything's clicking.
2: That's where I'm yeah. Yeah. And I think that also is I mean, there are a lot of reasons why, you know, I choose to do things. Um, but the idea of putting multiple languages in one painting is also part of that. You know, to be able to you know, work more abstractly and and with flat relationships or to work more illusionistically with, mm-hmm. you know, realism and to be able to kind of go into both of those languages deeply is super
0: um, satisfying. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's something I, like looking at your work lately, um, you know, knowing I was going to talk to you and just being a, a, like a, a fan in general over the years. Um it's it's interesting to hear you say that because it, it's something that fascinates me particularly like in the the early or this this newer work where you it seems like you're really pushing the flatness in the illusion of the the physical space is is getting it, it's like dissipating a little bit more um and it I'm, I was curious um What, what was like pushing that if, even if that's true or not, I don't know, but it feels like it's like kind of there. What was pushing that? Like, um, uh, why, I guess that's, Mm -hmm. was there. Well,
2: if you looked at the, you looked at work that was, let's say 2016, it probably was kind of more plainer and sculptural. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then later I got into kind of getting rid of some of that jumble into um some um flat relationships that were i guess you could say that they were more severe you know yeah. like stripes or um and in those paintings the ones that were stripes and more yeah more somber let's just say i always had sort of these trompe areas or you know of string yeah, or yeah. little props and things but, but as i was working with those paintings for a bunch of years, I realized that when people looked at them digitally, they just never even noticed those. So they just saw them as sort of these flat abstract paintings. And that's why more recently I've wanted to make the dimensionality, you know, more overt in -hmm. larger passages of the painting. So I think I've always been, you know, kind of flirting with 2d and 3d. If, and if you go back before 2016, it was similar, although Um I came to I think I, you know, when I first started painting, you know, it was all about working more representationally.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
2: Um, and then it's I started to shift things and you know, I could go on and on about that. But anyway.
0: No, you could I mean I'm curious. so I don't think I obviously I don't I don't know. I'm it's interesting to hear that you started out more representationally. Yeah. Like what was, was there something that switched for you that you were like,
2: I mean, um, yeah, I yeah, I, I, usually do work. I mean, I often do work for like, um, I often do work for like, um, you know, a, long, a handful of years, five years, seven years, 10 yeah. years. Um, and then I get to a point where I realize I have to make certain choices in order to really move it forward in a significant way. And that's when I decide, that that's when I made the biggest shifts. Yeah. Like, okay, what is not satisfying about what I'm doing? So I started off working figuratively.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, and over time, I I realized that I was just sort of squeamish with how people were interpreting these figurative situations. There'd be like mm-hmm. multiple figures interacting with one another. And I realized I am just like a more abstract thinker. And I don't feel comfortable when the narrative is really readable and then misreadable mm-hmm. um, and so I began to experiment more I that led me to work that I did for quite a while that I I referred to as kind of these surreal still eyes where I would appropriate objects and figures and forms from um like, like 14th through 19th century European and American painting. Um, Part of that, too, was just to get more art history, that love mm-hmm. of art history and the time spent looking at really beautiful paintings from the past. And I would put anyway, I would put these appropriated um, um, objects and forms in spaces together. So they would be kind of flat in some ways and dimensional in some mm-hmm. ways. And then I just sort of moved from there. I did I did a whole series of books that were opened. Mm-hmm. And they were art books, so it was playing with this idea of the the images were on were two dimensional, yeah. but then I was opening the book and putting it in space; so it was three dimensional. Uh-huh. That was in the early aughts, um, and then I started to experiment with. Um, I mean, basically, I decided that it was. I still was in kind of enraptured by the magic of illusionism. Of light and space and creating creating form. But I wasn't very interested in looking at photographs or digital mm-hmm. images or real life. I didn't want to just translate what I was seeing. And so I did, for a long time, I did a, a series of just drawings and they were um, powder graphite on mylar. And I would just sort of move the powder graphite around till it started to look like something. And then I just sort of would in a way, like I was, a, I felt like a sculptor. Yeah. You know, making these um, sort of unbelievable, believable forms that were kind of natural.
0: Those are the, I think those are the first works of as I saw. Okay. I, that's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, because, well, I worked at McGreevy's.
2: Oh, right. You know that's right. And then I started. Oh, then you, st- I was bringing things in. Yeah. And then I
0: would see <laughs> the things you're bringing in. And then yeah. I remember, like, one day, this, geometric painting coming in i was like oh this is interesting it would be
2: more of a head scratcher i think (laughs) yeah it was i was like where's this from it took me forever to figure out how to make a jump to painting from those drawings because those drawings were were really satisfying i felt like they did this thing that was important to me but i really wanted to work with color i wanted to paint and i tried all you know all sorts of different methods mm-hmm. and approaches um and i would you know make a group of paintings trying something and nothing really worked until i worked more simply with these shapes and i just i realized that even though the language was different you know the smoothness softness of those powder graphite forms versus something that was more plainer. Mm-hmm. um and brightly colored, but structurally they were the same. I was building these forms. I was building these relationships. Things were kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, ambiguous or awkward, all the things that structurally I'm interested in. So different languages, but the same. So that kind of allowed, I had to kind of allow myself to move into that.
0: Okay. Huh. That's how, like with, with the work now and, and I know, like again, like referencing the things I've seen lately, um, you still draw, like you still like do charcoal drawing. How how much does that does that the drawing process? How much does it infer, like or or um, it, how does it relate to the paintings for you? I'm curious about that because you you seem to have this like really like beautiful like. Like very like I don't want to call it like sinewy kind of muscular line that you can you can um, make in the drawing, but then in the painting we don't really get any of that. So they seem very separate. How do they? How do they talk to each other?
2: Um, I mean, I I kind of agree with you. I think often the drawings are a bit more organic. Although I I hope in my paintings that there is some tension between you know, something more geometric and something more organic, like that organic sort of infiltrating a little bit is the figurative part for me. But for drawing, you know, drawing, I usually just do for me. Mm-hmm. And it's often because I'm an academic, you know, I have a job teaching that um, either over winter break or summer break, I I just let myself have a month to just play around and draw. And I usually get in doing that, I get a whole group of drawings together. And then I just, I hardly ever show them. I just don't know what mm-hmm. to do with them. But I re- so those drawings usually are me giving me time to think about what's important and how I'm making relationships and drawings are usually, for me at least, don't take as much time as a painting. Um, I don't know. I can just sort of riff on ideas that then allow me to go back to the paintings Mm -hmm. um so they usually relate in a variety of ways yeah but they often don't look exactly the same and then in the last few years i feel like my drawings actually are connecting more to the paintings you know some of the language some of the the curves and the Mm -hmm. um the abstraction and the little moments of um dimensionality or how things are resting or stacked. So to me, there's a lot of similarities.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can see it, but there's a, there's just such a, they feel so like, uh, because your paintings don't feel like they start as a drawing. And I'm like, curious. Mm -hmm.
2: They do actually start
0: as a drawing. (laughs) How they cut, like, what's the, what's the planning of, of an image like that? Like the, like where, what also I'm curious, like what feeds it and like, how do you, it's something I wrestle with a lot of like, when I'm trying to make something abstract, I don't understand like where it comes from, you know, on a personal level, like Mm -hmm. I have to really study a lot of different things to. If I'm making something in the computer, that's abstraction. I have, I don't. Like there's no well inside of me where it just like boop, pours out. You know? <laughs> well, or it, well, I mean,
2: the way I understand what you're saying is that a lot of times when I'm my first passages in developing a drawing or a painting, you know, I can make something that looks OK, uh-huh. but it doesn't have that. Oddness or unexpected quality until I spend a lot of time and I just keep changing it and changing it and changing it. So my process is very much about um just editing in this sort of crazy rabbit hole kind of way. And then it just leads to whatever is the outcome, which is really similar to those powdered graphite um drawings because they uh-huh. were, I used to say, I would draw what I think I'm seeing, you know, which is like almost like a Ouija board, like who's in control, you know? <laughs> right. And I, and and I do have to kind of self-examine, like, am I just doing something super conventional that I've seen before? And how uh-huh. much am I just sort of a conduit for like the general culture, just sort of streaming through? Mm-hmm. Um, because I do want to make something that I haven't seen. Other people haven't seen. And it usually comes out of you asked about like, well, what's the, the drive for that? I mean, I feel like there's some urgency to kind of stack things and, um, connect things. Like I have a real strong, um, draw towards just making things connected that don't necessarily obviously go together. Yeah. And I, for me, that's like a metaphor that's important to Uh, how I work and what kinds of things I make.
0: I mean, that seems like a huge part of the tension of the paintings that you're making now at least like there's
2: nice of you to say
0: there's (laughs) there's something I I don't I I don't know why what you said just popped out but it it, that that tension that friction of things not wanting to be together is is uh very present in the work and I and I, I guess that goes back way back to um one of I don't know what my question was but the it feels like the newer work there's more acknowledgement of a surface tension of the the canvas. It, it seems like it's coming like closer to the surface, the way that the some of the objects, uh the shapes feel flatter and flatter. And then the illusion of three-dimensional space is getting like pushed a little farther to the edges or something. It's it's very interesting to look at, you know? And they bring me great joy well,
2: that's, a, that's really wonderful thank you so much <laughs>
0: yeah i no, it's so i mean i guess there isn't a question there but it kind of all that makes sense with what you just said about pushing those things together mm-hmm. uh, how how did you like come to like painting like was it um i because i looked at you 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 got to was it Yale or where, where did you
2: go do your under-
0: undergrad? was
2: at Yale, but I, yeah. and I had two years at Tufts and then I transferred to Yale. Uh-huh. And I, I, you know, I, I went to school with this notion about my family. Like, I feel like I'm often just, it's just this self-examination and I'm second generation. My dad's first generation. My grandparents are on that side of from Eastern Europe. And it just was shocking to me how much we had lost. Like, Uh um, and, (laughs) you know, I just wasn't aware in the eighties of like, Oh, it's assimilation. And it's this first generation to second generation. And there's all these, I think there's all these dynamics that we're super aware of now, but for me, there weren't words for all of this, but I just wanted to examine. I used to joke that my family was the, (laughs) <laughs> excuse me, like preppiest Jewish family you'd ever meet because <laughs> the way we dressed and uh-huh. where we went to school and, you know, all, all of that. And <laughs> excuse me. And I also mm-hmm. grew up in a place where there were like no Jews. And so mm. it was, was hard that Connecticut. To- It was Northeast Connecticut. So kind of in the country near the University of Connecticut. And so I grew up just sort of feeling like very confused about my Jewish identity. So when I went to school, I was an American studies major because I was just interested in the American experience. And I was really taken by early American culture, those first immigrants, why -hmm. they came, which seemed really similar to the reasons my family came and just all these cycles of Mm-hmm. immigration and the complexities and conflicts were very, you know that were happening in the 17th and 18th century and the in the US i could really relate to mm-hmm. and so that that interest in american the american experience led me to taking some art history classes and that was so fascinating and then i i basically graduated with an art history degree with a focus on american art um, oh, okay. it just seemed like a bonus to study history, but also look at art. Like yeah, you know, yeah. study the history yeah. through the art. Yeah. Um
0: and any particular like what was the focus of American art? Was it like was it just
2: well like if you think of like,
0: like Hudson River School or? Singleton
2: Copley okay. and I mean an early portraiture yeah, and yeah. the And then that had a connection to like Northern Renaissance painting with this sort of literalness and Mm -hmm. descriptive kind of crispness. Um, So my when I was at Yale, my senior thesis was on the first surrealist exhibition in the U.S., which was at the Wadsworth Athenaeum in Hartford. Um, I had been an intern there and had done research there. And so to me, there were these connections between surrealism, like that sensibility of like distortion Mm -hmm. and some of the distortion that was in, um, earlier American work. Huh. Um, and so like, I, you know, I feel like I'm still, I still kind of carry a torch (laughs) for that kind of description, but also, um, level of description, but also the distortion as well.
0: Yeah. I, I, I found that, that fascinating too. Um, when you find those moments of like weirdness, um, I took a class, uh, when I was at Purchase where we would, uh, go to, um, the cloisters. The cloisters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There just came to me. I was like, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. And I, I was I, like, I was so interested in the way they were depicting space and it was like wrong, but right. You know, and I don't know if that was what you were responding to. and in the uh the paintings you were looking at but uh there was just it was just, there was like a weirdness to it that I was like oh this is so strange
2: yeah like what the meticulousness and what was <coughs> valued
0: yeah yeah so how do you go then from art history to well i'm going to make it too i'm curious about that like how do you go from art history to studio yeah
2: yeah and i think a lot of people go from studio to art history like that's maybe the more Uh usual direction. Um, Well, you know, I, when I would, when I was in the art history, um, class classes and, you know, it was, this is back in the day with slides and the lights are down, (laughs) click, 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 click. Um, I would start to feel kind of nauseous when I would look at the works and focus on them and the way they were painted and, um, I would just something was sort of seemed like a it was a sensory experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually started graduate school in art history. I um, went to the University of New Mexico. They have a graduate program, or at least they did in American art. But I moved out to New Mexico and I um, was living in a tiny rental house uh, and I got my dog, Emma, at the pound. And um, it was great. And I was there for about a month. And then I went in on the first day of classes and I just thought, oh, my goodness.
0: (laughs) This is not for me.
2: (laughs) What am I doing? And Uh again, it wasn't anything um, about them. They were like amazing professors and really fun classes. And I was a TA and all of that was all fine. But I just knew I didn't want to do it. And I had been Uh I had taken a painting class um, at. At Yale. And I had just never stopped painting. I mean, I made awful paintings. They were just terrible, Mm -hmm. but I just really wanted to make paintings. Yeah. Um, So I left after a semester and I moved to D.C. My sister Nancy was there and um, I started taking some studio classes at American University.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. So. And then you just moved from there and you worked and and built a portfolio. And
2: I mean, You know, by the time I was done with American, I mean, I was like maybe foundation level. Mm -hmm. And then I applied to UConn to their MFA and I really wasn't ready. I mean, I never should have done that. I should have given myself a lot more time. Um, But I think they they let me in on my potential. Um, And I would say by the time I was done my MFA, I was maybe like a sophomore level when I like look at my students now. (laughs) And then, you know, right after grad school, I went right into teaching. So I had a very truncated studio experience. And I think that that's, I think that really shaped my kind of imposter syndrome, just because I, I never felt like I had enough background and I was always scrambling to kind of educate myself. So I would be prepared for my students. Uh-huh. um so and I you know I I'm I hope that that actually made me a better teacher because I was always trying to deconstruct things and learn you know s- yes yeah, stay one step ahead.
0: Uh-huh. I think that's I would imagine it did. You know, it probably made you a better teacher. I I don't know. You could cuz you <laughs> like you could see like you're identifying with the same struggle, yeah. you know, and that's that's yeah. always important.
2: And a lot of not all, but most of the classes, studio classes that I took, like in the 80s, like a couple at Yale, um, the ones I took at American. um, It was just this moment in art education where people didn't really teach that well, Mm -hmm. you know, and you were supposed to just show up and kind of know things already. Mm. Um, which is unfortunate, so um, so and I think so. It was a lot of gatekeeping, some of it intentional, some of it unintentional. Just they weren't those were the people who were raised on abstract expressionism, and you were yeah. just supposed to kind of do it. And I think because of that, because of a, like a lack of you know learning in an active way in those studio classes, um, and then. All of my art history classes, the professors were like incredible. They were like passionate and inclusive. Mm-hmm. They wanted to hear what you thought. Yeah. So we, I knew when I would teach, I, I needed to be super inclusive and not be a gatekeeper and just be as helpful as possible. And I think a lot of people were, are, you know, were that way from my generation. There's a, like a lot of thoroughness in the teaching that mm-hmm. I saw around me while I've been teaching. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. I think there's like a generational thing happening again. It's interesting when you get to a certain age, <laughs> you see like the cycles.
0: You feel like the you feel like the gatekeeping is coming back, or is there
2: maybe, maybe. or just yeah. maybe the lack of thoroughness about. I, I you know I I don't want to make pronouncements. I That's just fine. I just feel like there's a lot of carefulness now about making sure that people you know, find their own voice and yeah. do their own thing. And there's a lot of ways to value a huge variety of work. Um, and that's important. And I'm all for that. Um, I guess I just feel that whatever choices someone makes about how they want to pursue their work. It's it would be helpful to have fluency in a lot of different things and then make that choice. Yeah. Without, you know, and I don't think you'd have to lose any innate, you know, individualized sensibilities to, to, to learn other languages. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. No, it can all, you know, everything can be sliced and diced so many different ways, (laughs) so many ways to have things work or not work.
0: Mm -hmm. I I definitely feel as, um, I think when I was at Purchase, there was a few leftover professors who definitely politicked in gatekeeping. (laughs) And they felt like it was their job to just, like, keep you low. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I would think that having, like, studied at a, a few different places, like, you know, through time, you you did see a change, right? Like where that was like kind of frowned upon, you know, like, you know, we're not trying to like keep you down. And, you know, so I yeah. think you're correct. And there was like an attitude shift of like, well, you know. Right.
2: And I mean, just, I would hear stories about what it was like teaching in the, like, let's say the seventies. I remember a professor telling me when I was in grad school, like, you know, that they just threw all the students' work down the stairs and just sat it was shit. And, yeah. like, can you imagine yeah. that? I mean, yeah, yeah. and like, and what would be the point of that?
1: Yeah. You know, no, there really? Was, uh,
0: <laughs> I remember being in a crit at Purchase, and there was a uh, professor who was notoriously like vicious. And uh, he, um, it's funny, I tell this story to my students sometimes. Uh, he, uh, it was very clear at the beginning that we only use clear tacks. Okay. And this girl, I, I don't know what her, um, I forget who it was. it was such a big class. It was a collage class. Hmm. And um, I don't know. It was, I, it was odd actually thinking about it. Cause there wasn't a lot of big classes there, but there was like 30 students or something. And uh, she used like blue and red. And oh my God, he was just like. Livid. Yeah. <laughs> He said, he was like, uh, we get to it. And there was a little anticipation, I think uh, for a few people, like, what's he going to do? But it wasn't like, oh, geez, you know, you know, I think most people were just tired. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he gets there and he's like, who's this? And he's like, yeah, she's like, mine, you know, he's like, are you trying to personally attack me? And he had this whole rant and then he made her take it down and leave. I was like, "What the fuck? What was that?" You know, it was just like, "Oh my god!" I couldn't, I could never fathom doing that, to right?
2: His- and that student, they either like left and were so upset and like yeah. never came back, like, like yeah, didn't know how to think about their own yeah. work, or they were pissed off and like it energized them to keep going. <laughs> right, right?
1: Hopefully, it was <laughs> Hopefully that, it was that yeah, one.
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't remember. Uh, It was just like, oh my God, you know, Uh, and she was crying and it was just like.
2: I mean, the reason why I said unintentional and intentional is like, it was really hard to know. Like it was really hard to know what the motivation behind some of these professors, like why they wouldn't be generous. yeah, Why wouldn't they be generous? I mean, I never took it personally. It just seemed like it was the culture, but I had a drawing class at, yeah, I will not name names. And the professor Walked. It was like a drawing one class, um, and he walked around and he's he smoked a pipe, mm. which you know you think, wow, <laughs> <laughs> smoked a pipe. Yeah. Walked around, never said a word to me the whole semester. Really? I mean, the whole semester. The whole semester. And um, but one day he came over and it, we were doing figure drawing, and he came over, he didn't say anything to me, but he took my charcoal and he kind of drew this ankle to foot transition and it was like whoa that was like super helpful oh wow and it was amazing and then that's when i thought this guy is withholding interesting all this knowledge uh-huh. that he could be assisting us yeah you know but for whatever reason ego or his own like understanding of the culture. I don't, I don't really know, but it it ends up engage
0: with other students.
2: You know, I don't remember that, but I would say if he did, it was very minimal. Okay. The the grad student, there were two grad students and they would come around and be like, Oh, "Oh, okay. Let me help you. (laughs) (laughs) because They were probably scared of him.
0: (laughs) I don't know. It's so funny. Wow. I, I don't know. Some. I guess being a teacher, you know, for as long as I have now, um, to have some back and forth of my own experience, you know, I, I often think about like these weird moments where it was just like, what, how, you know, like you mentioned smoking a pipe and not saying a word to the student, you that know? person
2: wouldn't be teaching now.
0: Yeah. You yeah. know, that would be it. Yeah. And yeah. And then thinking about, well, what's the motivations? Like, why is he withholding this information? You know, like what it's, it's weird um
2: yeah and i mean it, it who, know, who
0: knows who knows yeah. i mean
2: it like there's a huge amount of sexism too i mean most yeah. of these people i'm talking about are are male yeah, yeah and the female ones were yeah were more generous
0: yeah yeah so yeah i often wonder with that <laughs> that critique that was a nightmare what if if the student had raised their hand and they were a guy would he have? You know. Oh yeah, who knows? You know, if 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 because it was a a girl, you know, who was probably just tired. Would you know? Did he see like, oh, I'm gonna mess with her, you know, because he felt like a there was a power situation he could yeah capitalize on.
2: Yeah, I just don't. I mean, in the in the classroom, I have been teaching a long time too, and. I just super aware of that power dynamics and I don't. Yeah. I'm not interested in it and I don't want to deal with it, but I know it's there. I mean, I know I'm yeah. hired to teach and I have I need you know, I want to help them. That's my motivation. And I do need to be in charge in order to make certain things happen. But I've never felt that comfortable. I'm the youngest of three. I'm not, I don't like mm-hmm. to be in charge. I like other people to make de- <laughs> de- certain decisions, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just, it's just more fun for me and yeah. more. Uh, but in the classroom, um, you know, I try to be really careful about mm-hmm. that and be really equal. So, yeah, you know, treat everyone well. And to kind of figure out who they are as much as yeah. I can.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, that's my, one of my number one motivations is just trying to figure out who they are, you know, on mm-hmm. um, some level that I can push them, you know, I'm very interested in knowing what they have to say rather yeah. than what I have to say.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, what's fun about teaching, you yeah. know, and I'm teaching at now that I'm teaching at RISD, the students are amazing. And so really all I'm bringing to them is like the construct mm-hmm. of a project that they can yeah. interpret and go where they want. Right, so it's right. like, it's so I got. I think I like. I mean, I like not having answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. And it and it does seem necessary for yeah. the process. I mean, yeah. and I can say like, well, it's likely that this might work. Mm-hmm.
0: However, you know. Yeah. Well, I want to get back to you though, and we'll finish up. But I, I one of my last few questions. And it's thinking of answers or <laughs> thinking of not having answers, I guess, is with um, the naming convention of some of your paintings, it it was interesting to me and that like it added this layer of humor, I guess, in some ways to like, it kind of like takes, it doesn't take you back, but it, it adds this kind of open-ended like weirdness to it that it seems to have to have an element of humor to it. Is that part of what you're, what you're going for in that? Or, oh, definitely.
2: Or, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, um, you know, I feel like I'm working narratively, but maybe I'm too subtle. You know, that's, and actually, the, these new paintings that I've made, I'm trying to be less subtle about the narrative that's there, even though it'll still be, you know, somewhat submerged. But the, um, but the titles are usually an indication of the kinds of, um, states of being. Um, and often it's something it's often a situation that's in between things, hard to name, mm-hmm. some complexity, you know, something very human. yeah, um, and so often there is a lot of humor to that. And I do want yeah. them to be understood in in that way, um even though like some of the languages, somewhat somber, you know, shapes or stripes, but usually Mm -hmm. there's something goofy and fleshy going on too. Yeah. And just the awkwardness of human interaction, either as an individual or between people. A lot of my work is about my, just, just, um, uh, this, I guess I would say, human dynamics or my family dynamics or even genetics. Um, I did a whole series that I called DNA and there were just like two abstract forms interacting, um, in this way that they like didn't go together, but sort of did go together. Cause I, my parents are elderly. My, my mom died recently and they're in their nineties. Oh. Um, And it just seemed like these are two people who do not belong together. And yet (laughs) they are together and very loyal in lots of Uh ways. And just the the strangeness of that or just thinking about anyway. So and then my more recent ones are just taking that more broader idea and bringing it to um, focus on my. A Jewish identity and
0: uh-huh.
2: kind of coming back to what I was,
0: <laughs> what right. I spoke about earlier yeah, with the uh, being the out of, of art. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Huh?
2: So I always have a story um, when I'm making it and how I understand uh, these, the situation. Like I think of my paintings as situations yeah, um, that are kind of beautiful, but kind of something's a little off. Yeah. Um, because I think that's
0: you're right, well, it goes back to putting things together that don't necessarily don't. belong together, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then seeing what happens, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my favorite I uh, mean you had I wrote down a few, I mean, but I really enjoyed the Ministry of Hope. I thought that was a great title. I have to look at that up to yeah. see which one it is and stop me, oh, stop me. Oh, okay. Very, funny as well. It just—I mean—it adds this layer, like you said, of humanity to them that makes me think, like, oh, this isn't just a geometric painting. There's something more going on here that is can engage on a level, and the way that it, it's—they're continually to to play with that surface tension, and that's the word I'm using. Is probably incorrect or phrase? No, that's a, that but seems it, like a fine it seems, phrase. It's something I think about in terms of photography. So that's my photographic mind thinking about, yeah. well, I've about thinking- a painting, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So I just, uh, well, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was just going to say,
2: when you work abstractly, oftentimes people are going to look at the work and view it in a more formalist way, uh-huh. you know, and that's, It starts and stops in that arena of formalism. Um, But, you know, I, everything has meaning to me, you know, so for me, they're metaphoric. Yeah. And there's some kind of transformation going on in them, you know, Mm -hmm. something flat to something three-dimensional or back. Um, There's something, some human trait to these abstract players. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, the abstraction is, a, an opportunity for metaphor.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely second that with your work. Um,
2: And I still want to make beautiful paintings that work on a formalist level because (laughs) the idea of design like that, not graphic design, particular or industrial design, but just that, that big, that big word design, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I want to be able to um, that's my language. Yeah, a paint, color, design. Company. So um, it needs to operate on that level because if it doesn't, I I should be writing poems or mm-hmm. I should be doing something else.
0: The titles actually made me feel like, do you you must write or something? You must. I you...
2: I um one of the reasons I got out of art history is that it was so painful to write. Yeah, I can write okay. I can write clearly, but mm-hmm. I don't take a lot of, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that when I'm done, there's pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like if I can get at an idea, but n- most of the titles are from novels I'm reading.
0: Oh, little columns, yeah.
2: y- you know, New York times, right, right. you know, it could be nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always writing down phrases that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, And then when I have paintings that I want to kind of skew them toward an idea, then I'll start to really look at words and their history and try to find some, some source that connects to them. But I have like a running list of titles and I try to see if something I've found could
0: apply. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. It's so, I always find it kind of um, disappointing when something's untitled. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I am be... okay with that title. I mean, it's okay, I guess, but I just always feel like, oh Give me a little direction. Anyway, something. Yeah. Yeah. Nugget. Well, everyone's so it's different. An opportunity to you know, lead the viewer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Give them something. Yeah. Well Yeah, it
2: can be important.
0: Yeah. Um I think we said it all. I think okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's good.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm just uh, enjoying the conversation but same uh, yeah I think we're um I don't know I I'm stumped now okay. I have to think about all this
2: Yeah no no worries it's it's uh, lovely to speak with you yeah. and thank you for taking the time to do that Of
0: course it was, yeah no it's really uh... Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, share it. Tell a friend. And be sure to subscribe to Art Town on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Art Town is engineered and produced by Silent Studios North with exclusive theme music by Fantagram.